This is the Horse Radio Network. This is Episode 8 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Index Fund Advisors, IFA.com. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network. Today, we have Western dressage advocate Julie Malik with us to talk about the exciting growth in a newer discipline. We also welcome Mark Herthel from Platinum Performance to discuss how nutrition can affect horses' behavior and well-being. Thank you for supporting our sponsors to make this show possible. Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to Horsemanship Radio. Welcome back, everyone. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 15th and the 30th of the month. And I have my producer, Glenn the Geek, with me. Hi, Glenn. Hey there. How are you doing? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. This is our first since the first. That's correct. How are the holidays over at the, uh, over at the ranch? Awesome. They were amazing. I don't even want to tell. You're in Florida, so it's okay to get away with this, but I don't even want to tell you that we could have eaten dinner outside. (laughs) You don't want to tell most of the country that now. Most of the country right now, yeah. Um, No, it was just beautiful. We had lots and lots of family around, and it was great. How about you? Did you get out with your horses at all? Yeah, we got to spend time with the horses. We had a kind of a quiet one here with some family in town. We don't, you know, everybody wants us, our old homestead is Pennsylvania, and all the family wants us to come to Pennsylvania. We're like, we live in Florida. Burr. It's end of December. Y'all can come down here. <laughs> we can right. make the turkey down here just fine. So, <laughs> <laughs> and should. <actually. laughs> That's right. Yeah, no, it was great. I was really glad uh, that we had Dad on for the uh, end of the year, and mostly because then we wanted to hear what he was planning for 2014, because often we don't hear it until <laughs> right. somebody else does. <laughs> he, he does He does keep no grass growing under his feet. In fact, I just learned yesterday that he um, uh, got called by the Queen, and he will be there on the 20th of this month to have another meeting, and so uh, drop everything, and we've got airline tickets and we're real excited to hear the next um the next phase of their work together is some big important things coming and you will hear about it here on horsemanship radio too now when when you say you got a call is it actually the queen that calls or is it her people not first it's her people at first okay <laughs> you're right <laughs> there is a really kind i was gonna say does the queen actually make her own calls Ring, ring. Hurry up. Yeah, because I can just picture her picking up the phone and having the little dial pad. Uh, Or maybe she still does the rotary. (laughs) You know, don't you feel like it would be traditional? I know. (laughs) Half of the people don't know what a rotary is, Glenn. I know. (laughs) I know. I know. We used to have a party line. I mean, there were like four people on our street, and you pick up the phone and you could hear the other people talking. You had to wait till they were done to make the call. That's like watching a Green Acres episode. It was. It was. It was true. And then we always knew there was one neighbor. She was uh, was an old bitty, Uh and she used to listen to all our calls. You could hear them pick up. And then you knew she was listening to your calls. It's like. Oh, God. Thank God for cell phones, I guess. (laughs) Thank thank God that uh, party lines went away. Yeah. Now I'm really dating myself. That dates back to the late 60s. (laughs) Hey, I wanted to say, too, I wanted to congratulate you and thank all the listeners who are listening to the Horsemanship Radio Show. We've been getting a lot of terrific feedback in the form of emails and and, uh, people corresponding with us on Facebook and things. So uh, thank you for for listening, and we're glad that you're enjoying this show. Of the 
freshman shows that came out on the Horse Radio Network in 2013. It's doing the best. So uh, good job. Well, thank you. And thank you, listeners. You make it happen. And Glenn and I talk a, a little bit about the demographics, uh, how many countries are listening in. And uh, it's just amazing to me how many people speak English out there <laughs> around the world, but how many maybe expats that we have listening. And we're just so glad to hear that horses are affected globally by Horsemanship Radio. And we're just honored and pleased that you are at least picking us up and trying us out. And uh, tell your friends, please watch for the releases coming out on our Facebook page uh, forward slash Monty Roberts on Facebook because we, um, we're really excited about expanding into areas that horses have not had a voice in um, and we're getting a lot of nice emails and you can write to Debbie at MontyRoberts.com uh, to tell me more about your area but we're getting a lot of nice emails about uh, how horsemanship is is changing for the better in those areas. And it's really just through education. And this microphone is really just a form of that, a form of education. And once the genie is out of the bottle and people know uh, better horsemanship and um, better husbandry for their horses, it just doesn't go back in the bottle, now does it? Nope, it definitely doesn't. I love that. All right, what's coming up on today's well, show? Well, we're going to hear more about Western Dressage after this, though, from our wonderful sponsors, Index Fund Advisors, matching people with portfolios. Hi, I'm Mark Hebner, president of Index Fund Advisors and proud owner of Monty Roberts' Willing Partners graduate, He's a Sugar Bear. <laughs> you know, investment portfolios are a lot like horses. You need to find one that best suits you your temperament, and your stage of life. Some people might like an energetic horse and an aggressive investment portfolio, while others are more comfortable with a gentle ride and a more conservative investment portfolio. The trick is to find the one that's right for you. That's what Index Fund Advisors is all about, matching people with portfolios, risk-appropriate, low-cost, and globally diversified investment portfolios. You can find the right portfolio for you by taking the risk capacity survey at ifa.com. That's IFA as an index fund advisors. Or you can call us toll free at 888-643-3133. That's 888-643-3133. Julie Malik has had a lifelong love of horses, but didn't start her training until her 40s. She hails from Lafayette, Oregon, and she owns Velvet Touch Equine Training. She also volunteers in animal rescue and loves all trail riding. She has advanced. She is an advanced student of Monty Roberts' join-up concept. She's been taking courses at the school now since 2007, and she returns often. Uh, to, she is working on getting a master's in the silent language of Equus. And um, she also is a very good um, teacher of the skill of observation. I'm really enjoying watching her learn all of those skills. She's devoted the past 18 months to her passion, which is cabaret dressage and Western dressage. Welcome, Julie Malik. Thanks for agreeing to be on our show, Horsemanship Radio. Uh, it's, uh, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for asking me to come on today. Well, we're we're all excited to hear a lot more about Western dressage. In my circles, we're we're pretty much trail riding, getting up and go gals. And um, the talk of the last couple of years has been cowboy dressage, Western dressage, and uh, the crossovers. 
I would love to talk to you a little bit about that today because I know you're heavily involved in that. Is that right? Yes, that's right. I run the uh, Oregon Cowboy Western Dressage Alliance. It's a, a club, and we have currently a little bit over 50 members uh, in Oregon and Washington and Northern California. And we are uh, our basic purpose is to support cowboy dressage and Western dressage and see it uh, uh, often flying as uh, a new discipline. And I'm been so excited to be a part of this. It's just Mm. been a blast. You must be working really hard because I hear uh, on the internet and I hear people talking at the shows about it. So I know you guys started quite a rumble. Uh, Often flying is interesting. So flying lead changes, tell me a little bit, how does this work? How does flying lead changes and dressage work with a Western saddle? Well, it, it Let's let's back up for just a second and and just kind of uh, establish what is cowboy and western dressage, and then it'll probably make a little bit more sense. Good. Um, and I'll eliminate the what it isn't first, because most people go, huh? You know, mm-hmm. dressage in a western saddle? Come on. And that's exactly what it isn't. What it is is using the the gymnastic exercises of classical dressage to uh, put a better handle on your Western stock-type horse. So we're not looking to turn our Western horses into dressage ponies. What we are looking for is to use those wonderful training principles that uh, dressage has had for hundreds of years to put a better handle on your horse, uh, you know, to, to get that horse more supple, more athletic, more um, in tune with you as the rider so that you can do whatever you want, whatever discipline, Western discipline you want with your horse. You can go out trail riding. You can, you know, go down the fence after a cow. Um, you can do the, the extreme cowboy challenges, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. This, if, you know, if you follow the, the training principles and, and really, you know, adhere to it and go for it, uh, will give you and your horse that partnership and that lightness and that, that suppleness and that athleticism that every rider wants out of their horse. Mm-hmm. That sounds good. So so you did mention one of the things that I was going to ask you is what kind of horses are you seeing in the discipline? Um, sounded like a lot of quarter horses maybe. Definitely quarter horses. We are an all-breed discipline, so that goes from, you know, your your grade, non-papered, you know, backyard horse all the way through, you know, all the, the western stock-type horses, quarter horses, paints, morgans, Arabs, uh, mules are, are definitely welcome. Yeah. We welcome gated horses, any kind of horse, basically. We do even have some warbloods that have switched over from classical dressage, but... Those are so far in the minority, because I think because they have a problem finding a saddle that's big enough. But <laughs> Ah, that might be. <laughs> well, I, I love some of the history that I've read about Western riding and practices, you know, the vaqueros back to the 1700s um, and, and where quarter horses and even criollos in South America have evolved from the cattle ranching and everything. So if I'm understanding you correctly – the horsemanship evolving here is comes from that that suppleness and that uh, ability for these horses to do quick turns and 
um, whether it be a war horse, I suppose, which is the dressage world, or whether it be a cow horse. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. The the um, the classic principles that that we're using to train our horses evolved over in Europe several hundred years ago uh, in Spain and, and in, you know, in that kind of area, Spanish riding school. Mm-hmm. Um, and when the Spaniards came over to California, they brought those influences with them and they, you know, used those uh, to go ahead and bring along their, their horses that they worked the cattle with here. Um, and, but because... They were in a new environment. They had new tack. You know, they weren't using the the dressage saddles anymore. They they switched over because now they're working cattle, so they switched tack to to a more western stock type saddle. Hmm. But they continued to to you know aspire to the the horse that is what we call straight up in the bridle, which is a light, supple, athletic. You don't see the cues. The horse just moves with the rider as one type of a horse. And that horse, when it was finally made after many years of, of uh, careful training, was a symbol of uh, the horseman's prowess because here is, you know, the product of his training, and this horse is a to-die-for horse. He can do anything with that horse. And mm-hmm. they showed him off. You know, they, they loved to see those horses coming along like that and to, mm-hmm. to finally be that way. And the, the nice, interesting parallel is that Vaquero tradition um, is now very much parallel to the cowboy and western dressage that we're seeing now. Um, they they, they complement each other so well because the basic principles that they're trained with are almost identical. So, and it's for me, you know, as a sixth generation Californian, you know, I have, my heart is with the faqueros, you know, I I love that. And I want my horse eventually to be one of those bridal horses. So when I saw uh, and first got wind of, of Western dressage, I went, oh, there's a way that I can do that. You know, Mm -hmm. even, even on my own, excuse me, in the backyard, you know, Mm -hmm. I, can take these principles and if I follow them carefully and with input, you know, periodically from, you know, a a good trainer that I trust, I can bring my horse along and do that. And all of a sudden it was, it went from being a dream that, you know, maybe I'd have to, you know, ship out for five or six years and go find a vaquero someplace to train under to, now I can do this. It's real. I can do this with some help once in a while from somebody that I trust, but I can do it on my own. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably part of the reason why this has caught fire so quickly is because it's taken that that wonderful, almost unattainable dream and plopped it in people's laps and they go, oh, I can do that. That looks easy. Mm-hmm. And it looks like fun. And certainly it's a worthwhile goal to get your horse to the point where, you know, um, you have, have that partnership and that um, wonderful, soft feel going on. Oh, I'm so glad you said partnership because that's exactly what I think of when I see good harmony in dressage and in the Western reigning world. Um, it is that partnership. You can see the horse wanting to do the work as much as, as the uh, rider is. So, so you're, you're saying that we girlfriends, we can, we can get into this sport 
the only caveat I heard, though, is that you got to find somebody you can trust. How do you do that? Well, you know, there are people out there um, who have been training using these principles for many years. And, in fact, most of the good uh, Western trainers have all been, you know, um, using the, the basic dressage principles to, to bring along their Western horses for many, many years. And I think it, was, it wasn't a secret for them, but I think the other reason why this is splashing so heavily now in the main public is all of a sudden everybody else found out that this was something that you could do. And chances are, you know, the person that you've been training with or, you know, um, maybe, you know, the girlfriend's trainer or whatever – already knows how to do these basics. It's like if they're familiar with classical, traditional dressage principles, they can teach you how to do, you know, um, the the turn on the haunches and the turn on the fore and, you know, the proper way to, to, to get your horse moving left, right, back, you know, that kind of thing. And that's basically all this is. Yeah. But you can ride in your Western saddle and you don't have to in you know, it's a good thing at my age, put on those tight little breeches and, you know, <laughs> worry about how your butt's going to hold up. <laughs> That's right. That's right. We can wear our jeans. I like this already. Yeah. So you were um, down in Solvang at Flag is Up Farms recently, or this last year, and you went to the Gentle and Elegant, and we had the, the pleasure of watching Charlotte Bradal Baker Olympic bronze medalist in dressage and Monty Roberts, my dad, um, doing parallel work in the arena. Tell us a little bit about that experience. That was the first time I'd ever seen crossover like that. That was fabulous. And, you know, other than the fact that I've been a longtime Monty Roberts student, you know, he, I consider him to be my mentor. Um, when I saw that they had, you know, um, mocked up this event, you know, English meets Western, basically. I had to go because of the Western cowboy dressage thing. And it was a wonderful weekend. It was just an absolute delight to watch Charlotte work her horses, you know, because she's such a a beautiful rider and she embodies all of the principles that we aspire to in cowboy and Western dressage. And also she embodies the principles that Monty teaches, which is, you know, gentle, you know, find that willingness, you know, set the horse up to do the right thing. And if you don't force it, the horse will go along with it because they're generous creatures to a fault. Aren't they? That's true. Yeah, it was just gorgeous. And then, you know, the other part of the weekend, which was very fun, of course, was, you know, watching Monty get on, on you know, uh, Chrome and just go barreling around and doing the <laughs> sliding stops and stuff, which, you know, yeah. I aspire to be half the horseman that, that he is at his age, you know, especially with his travel schedule. I, I don't even, he's the ever-ready bunny, but... Um, <laughs> That's what we call him, too. That's true. The, the, the big grin that he had on his face when he was doing those sliding stops was priceless. And then, you know, to watch your mom and and Charlotte, you know, um, get on the the stock horses Mm -hmm. and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, watch Charlotte go through and and do some reining patterns. You know, it's just Mm -hmm. good horsemanship is good horsemanship. And the whole thing for me and the thing that jazzed me up about the Western and cowboy dressage is it gives you an easy codified avenue to get that good horsemanship. 
Mm-hmm. Monty gives it to you on, on the ground with, you know, his, his workmanship principles from the ground and, you know, his wonderful online university and the, the fabulous classes that he puts on regularly at the farm. And then, you know, you can go out and take those and combine them with this great way to ride. And I felt like I fell into hog heaven. You know, it was like <laughs> the other side of the coin for me. So I'm like, I'm rolling in it here at this point. I'm having such a blast. I can hardly even stand myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said you were sixth generation Californian. So you're up in Lafayette, Oregon. Where do you go to, do you compete in the Western Dressage? Where do you go for this? They, uh, there are schooling shows all over the state regularly, especially, uh, well, with Oregon because it rains so much. Liquid rain right now, you know. Right, um, yeah. liquid, liquid, liquid sunshine. sunshine. Yeah. <laughs> um, but usually early in the spring, the, the schooling shows get started, and especially um, I expect this to expand now that uh, the Western Dressage Association of America has uh, recognized affiliate status with the USEF so that now Western dressage is a recognized discipline. So not only do I expect to see, uh, you know, the, the normal number of schooling shows offering Western dressage classes to write in, but I expect more of the bigger shows to start incorporating Western dressage in their shows. And then on the cowboy dressage side, uh, Aton Beth Palakmi and his wife Debbie are also the other side of the Ever Ready Bunny coin. I mean, they're just yeah. out there. They're putting on all kinds of shows. Um, and I think they have four scheduled for this year that are just they're putting them on. But then as they go around and get more people fired up, they're, they're having others start to put on competitions as well with the cowboy dressage rules. So, um more and more and more activities are coming up. Um, my particular club started out uh, putting on how-to clinics. So, and that was very much needed the last 18 months or so was basically nothing but how-to clinics because everybody was clamoring for those. This year, we're going to start off with uh, uh, a mock competition where we teach people all of the different um, positions in a competition like the steward and the scribe and the gatekeeper and all that kind of stuff so they know how everything's supposed to go and you know they get a little bit more um hatted on it so that we can start later on using those people to put on our own competitions Mm -hmm. so that's where we're going we do definitely want to put on some of our own and we'll do both Western and cowboy dressage, just depending on, you know, where we are, what we've got going at the time. But um, I think 2014 is definitely going to see a lot more uh, as far as the competitive aspects, which is great because they're a super, super um, way to, to get um, unbiased feedback on how you're doing on your, your skills with your right. horse. Right. Do you have, I noticed that, you know, when a new discipline, it's so interesting to have somebody that's involved in a new discipline so I can ask all these questions and not sound too silly um, because it is all new. Um, there's got to be so many problematics coming out, like what kind of bits can you use, what kind of bits can't you use. Um, uh, besides the obvious saddles, I don't think you probably have a lot of rules on that, but what do you do with, with headpieces? Well, you it really, um, both Western and cowboy dressage do have their own sets of rules. They're extremely similar. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you can, uh, snaffle bits are, of course, welcome. You can ride in curb bits. Um, you can ride in a bosal because that's a very Western piece of uh, equipment as well. Um, basically, what is not allowed are the, 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 the bits that are going to hurt the horse, gag bits and, you know, twisted wire and that kind of thing. Um, but mostly, you know, more than worrying about the equipment, they're, they're both, they, they both have more of an emphasis on the partnership and the soft feel that they want to see. Um, Aton's cowboy dressage in particular, when they're judging someone, they really want to see, you know, you're nicely turned out and you don't have to get all spangly with, you know, um, show clothes or anything, but they want to see good gear in good repair. They want to see you using it correctly, but really what they want to see above anything else is that partnership and that Mm -hmm. soft feel of, you know, communication both being given to the rider from the rider to the horse, but back from the horse to the rider, too. And those are the things they're looking for more than, you know, um, tack or that kind of thing. Um, the, the main thing they want to see is that you're, you know, as far as tack goes, that you're riding, you know, um, equipment that's appropriate. If you choose, for instance, because you ride a Pasofino to ride um, uh the uh, traditional saddle for a Pasofino, then you also need to be geared up correctly for that. And the the stock type um, tack that's um, very specific for countries is very welcome as long as it's for working cattle, horses, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. Okay. We don't, you know, we're not looking for hunter jumper type stuff. If it doesn't have a horn. <laughs> Usually, mm-hmm. we're not looking for it. So mm-hmm. that's um, interesting. It'll be fun to watch, Julie. I'm I'm excited to see how the how the, the most important thing that I've heard you say to me though is that you're looking for that um, that soft way and that harmony between rider and and horse. And I'm sure, based on that, this will go very far. I think it sounds really exciting. And I would love to have you back if you've. If you've got a moment, we, you know, I, I'm listening to your horsemanship. I'm impressed. I love, I love what you're doing. I love your energy. I would love to have a tip from you. We do that here. We like to get from our um, trainers and from people that are willing um, something to share with our listeners uh, about their training tips. And uh, if you'll do that, we'll have you back. I would love to come back anytime. Just say the word. Right after this word from Equus Online University, we'll hear from Mark Herthel. Mark Herthel is the president and co-founder of Platinum Performance, Inc., an animal health company founded in 1996 at the Alamo Pintado Equine Medical Center in California's Central Coast. While studying agricultural business at Cal Poly University, Mark co-founded Platinum Performance together with his father, equine surgeon, Dr. Doug Herthel. Mark's Platinum Performance has grown from a small supplement company to a leader in veterinary and human nutrition products and education. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts, and I'm dedicated to training horses without pain. You can learn to do it too on my Equus Online University. Western, English, the beginner, or the advanced rider. It doesn't matter. You can connect with other students online too on our forum, and there's a new lesson every week. 
It's a lifetime of learning for you on my Equus Online University at MontyRoberts.com. Welcome, Mark Herthel. Thanks for joining us. Uh, happy to be on with you today. It's great to have you on Horsemanship Radio. We're really excited about having you for the first time here. And you're also our first nutritionist that we've had on this show. We'd love to hear a little bit about um, your horsemanship. I know that you come from the business side of it, but you, you live in a horse dynasty there with your dad, Doug Herthel, being part of Alamo Pintado Clinic, the founder of it. And you live literally down the road from us, don't you? Yeah, we're uh, we're in a little town called Los Olivos, about a thousand people, and uh, I'm born and raised in an equine hospital. Uh, the hospital started in the early '70s, and um, over the years, it's grown to about 14 veterinarians. And so, my first memory is actually uh, trying to give a, a shot to a, a yearling and, and being kicked by a horse too. So that so horses ah. are near and dear to my heart from from the very beginning. And dear to your heart and your head too. That's a, <laughs> I don't know if that's a good first memory or not. But, but and you ended up going to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, I believe. That's where my dad, Monty, is uh, is an alum as well. Yep, I went to Cal Poly. Uh, uh, you know, grew up in the hospital, uh, born and raised, and then spent every day with horses and, and watching horses being cared for. Uh, and and uh, brought back to health and uh, went to Cal Poly, uh, great school, the only school I really wanted to go to, um, mm. and studied uh, studied agricultural business and food science um, mm. and quite, quite a bit of nutrition as well. My wife was a, or my girlfriend at the time, now wife, was a nutrition major, so I spent a lot of time in the nutrition classes with her, <laughs> and and uh, so that's that's how we got our got our start in what we're doing today. Yeah, good. Well, I, I know that one of the things that I grew up with, and we were going, growing up, I'm older than you, but we were growing up a little bit side by side, is uh, behavior issues in horses. And, uh, you know, dad is one of those guys that uh, early on got a reputation for being able to fix the biggest problems, right, the issues. So you know pretty much what comes through the gate after a while is nothing but really uh, extraordinary problems and issues with a horse. But the first thing Dad would say is, uh, this is a horse with a people problem rather than the other way around. And he would set out to figure out what the story is that this horse is going to tell him. One of the things that he looked at first, because he's big on nutrition and what you put in a horse and what you put in your own body, is uh, the horse's physio. And so I would love to hear from you, from your horsemanship today, this is Horsemanship Radio, is about maybe we're missing some of that and how does nutrition affect behavior and how do you analyze a horse's uh, health when you first meet with him and um, how, how does your horsemanship approach nutrition? Yeah, you know, nutrition, I mean, literally we're learning every day about the impact of nutrition on health and behavior and and growth and development. Um, and so it's it's a very exciting field. Um, you know, if you look at, at a horse and, and um, what their natural diet is, uh, it's quite different from the diet that, that horses are often eating today. Um, you know, they their natural diet is high in forage and grasses, and, and uh, those uh, typically are high in uh, omega-3 fatty acids. And, and mm-hmm. we look at what we give a horse today, which are a lot of concentrates and, and uh, grasses that have been cured. And, and what we're finding is there's quite a difference in those fatty acids. The horse, we call it an omega-3 animal. Uh, it's intended to have quite a bit of omega-3 in its diet. And, and the modern diet is more of a high, high omega-6. And 
omega-3 are anti-inflammatory and omega-6 are pro-inflammatory. So we're able to, and that's just one aspect of it, but we're able to um, really learn a lot by, by looking at what we're putting in the horse. So horses on a, a more modern diet, we find, are typically in a more inflamed state, a more pro-inflammatory state, and that can affect a whole host of different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. So an inflammatory, so that can affect a horse's cognitive, their 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 brain function, as well as the behavioral function. You think? Yeah, you know, any uh, any itis uh, is an inflammatory condition. So uh, arthritis, uh, dermatitis, colitis, those are all itises, and they all mm-hmm. have an inflammatory component. Okay. Uh, so we we see a lot. Um, you know. Uh, Seems to be increased inflammatory conditions in horses on a higher grain diet. Uh, behavior certainly um, with excitability. Uh, um, you know, there's a, the whole host of things. I mean, you know, if you if you miss a meal or you miss a couple meals, you know what that can do to your hormones and what that can do to to your behavior and and, mm-hmm. and patience. And so you think just that simple little example of of in a horse, you know, where we're a lot of times we're feeding them maybe just twice a day or or sometimes three times a day versus what they're used to is continuous feeding. So, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of endless, the, the things that we can learn from, from diet and, and horse behavior as well as health. So what, what are people doing these days to smooth that out? I mean, just uh, the clash of humans and horses and horses' system running all day long, ours doesn't. Ours shuts off. Isn't that right? That ours, our stomach acids don't produce all day long, but horses do. Is that right? Exactly, and because they're they're grazers, so they're intended to be uh, foraging uh, most of the day, and that's why it's so easy for horses to develop ulcers. Literally, a, a horse can develop an ulcer in, in about twenty four to thirty six hours or so, and and so uh, that that can do a lot for behavior. If the horse has ulcers, if you don't know it, uh, you know that dramatically be, or, uh, can impact behavior in a horse. So, um, again, just one example. Um, but it's uh, they're they're quite fragile animals. They're amazing, beautiful animals. But you know they're they're quite sensitive as well. Mm-hmm. So so what are what are what's on the offing? I guess for us poor horse owners who think God, I would like my horse to be happier. I I would like to, him to be able to eat all day, but that's impossible because you know I work. I uh, you know he's out in the pasture or he's even in a stall, and I can feed him twice a day. But how do I get him to forage more? You know, um, and that that's the key thing. So what we what we often recommend is a more natural diet, so high higher in forage. Um, and I know sometimes people will use those slow feeders, which seem to be getting popular, where they can mm-hmm. they can pick at it uh, throughout the day, um, pick at the hay throughout the day, or or obviously turn out if you can. Um, but we recommend a more natural diet, and we've seen uh, some pretty remarkable. Um, changes in health. There was a study done at uh, Colorado State University a few years ago where we were part of it, where they were using our, our supplement, which is the supplement's basically providing what the, the forage doesn't have in it, um, mm-hmm. the omega-3s and the trace minerals and so forth. But they found that they were able to actually improve fertility rates pretty dramatically, about 130% in a group of subfertile mares just by changing their diet, just by changing in a more higher forage, so higher hay, and supplementing and, and less of the, the concentrates. Um, so that, that's just one example. We see many, many examples across different different uh, health conditions. And is there any 
can you extrapolate anything or that? I mean, they, their fertility went up. Is that because they were happier? Is that because they felt sexier? Or <laughs> what, what was yeah. going on <laughs> with that? Well, well you, you know, if you think about it, you know, the old, my mom always used to tell me, you are what you eat. Um, and yeah. uh, she still tells me that. My wife tells me that now, too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's true. Uh, so what you eat, the types of uh, fats that you eat, um, actually determines the structure and the function of your cells. So for pregnancy, for instance, um, the omega-3 fatty acids are, uh, help the cell to be more um, uh, less brittle and help the cell to actually function better and, and to help with the uh, transfer of uh, hormones. And, and so we've, we've seen that um, uh, a more natural diet in, in these older subfertile mares can decrease inflammation and uh, helps, helps uh, cell membranes function better. Uh, so that's that's one example. We've also seen uh, similar uh, results in metabolic syndrome, so kind of similar to type 2 diabetes, but in horses, metabolic syndrome, where we've been able to shift a, uh, a population of uh, horses with metabolic syndrome more into a healthy state, um, mm-hmm. looking at glucose and insulin, and that's through just through diet modification. Great. That's cool. It, and you have a daughter. I'm thinking of your wife now. And Is that right? You have a, a new little one? Uh, I have, uh, yeah, I have a five-and-a-half-year-old daughter and a uh, two-year-old son. Oh, that happened fast, Mark. Uh, so, yeah. so do you put them on supplements? I'm just curious about your belief in supplements. You know, um, so diet is obviously, uh, diet and food is number one. And our, our main products, our Platinum Wellness Formula and our, our Platinum Bars are, are food products, um, mm-hmm. flaxseed and sunflower seed. And so uh, our kids are not on uh therapeutic supplements, but they eat the bars, uh, the bars and the powder every day. And yeah. those are providing them omega-3s and trace minerals and, and vitamins and things that they're not getting in the uh, other food that they're eating. Um, so don't have them on, uh, say, joint supplements or anything like that, but they're definitely yeah. eating uh, uh, the, the, the base formulas, which are, which are uh, whole food products. And, and they've been eating them since they were in utero because my wife you know, is done on them. And so that's, that's a big, it's a really key part of it is, is, uh, nutrition, you know, pre and during pregnancy. Yeah, that's great. Oh, I, I, I get it now. So you, you can actually get them to eat a little bar a little easier than you can get them to swallow something, but they don't really even need a lot of stuff, I suppose, that are in those things. You've, you've, you've designed bars for people. Weren't you also a part of the Olympic nutrition program too? Was it both equine and, and human or just one? Yeah, you know, so where it started was in our in our hospital where I where I grew up. Uh, my dad, um, uh, you know, was, was very kind of problem solving veterinarian, and so uh, long story short, in the in the '90s, he was looking for ways of improving healing in his patients, and he got very very deep into nutrition, and, and that's how he formulated the original platinum formula for horses. Uh, people uh, actually started using it themselves because they saw how these horses were transforming. And so we quickly developed a, a human equivalent, and so that's still our number one product today. And, and it's basically it's it's providing what uh, we're not getting in our diet that we used to have in our diet. Um, so um, we we have products for people and and, and obviously horses and, and dogs. Um, and you asked about the Olympics, and it was 1999 when a, a group of Olympic swimmers that were all training together, an international group, uh, they got introduced to our product by a veterinarian. And so they started using it, 
and we went out and, and spoke with them on nutrition and, and basically were teaching them what we'd learned from the horses and some pretty high-end horses. And uh, they got pretty excited about it. And uh, two of them ended up tying for gold in the 53 style in the oh Sydney Olympics goodness. in 2000. And that kind of kicked it off. And I think over the years, we've had about 35 Olympic medals uh, from swimmers using, uh, using our products. That's amazing. That's amazing. So your two worlds came together. Your dad's uh, the the vet and the clinic founder, and then you, uh, more of a businessman and a nutritionist. Uh, do, uh, are you a doctor? Uh, sorry, I couldn't hear you. What was that? I'm sorry. Are you a doctor too? Did you did you go through med school or did you come out with a degree in nutrition? No, I'm not. I'm not a doctor. I, I grew mm-hmm. up grew up in the hospital and. Spent many, many days in the hospital with, with, you know, observing, but I was always interested yeah. in business. Uh, yeah. My little brother's a veterinarian. Uh, my uncle and aunt on the other side of the family are veterinarians. My dad's a veterinarian. So a lot of, a lot of medicine in the family, but I was always the uh, kind of the, the entrepreneur from a young age, uh, uh-huh. different little businesses growing up. But, uh, so I was, you know, it was kind of, I was a freshman in college uh, studying ag business and nutrition, and my dad at the same time was formulating the original platinum, and it kind of just, I just jumped right into it and did it through college and, and doing it today. So, wow. it's our passion. Model. Yeah, it is a great, it's a great model. I would love to have you back, Mark. If you've got uh, five minutes to spare somewhere, I would love to have you back and get a, a tip from you because uh, your depth of knowledge at your young age is... Uh, is something that I'm sure our listeners would love to have. Can you can you come back for a, a tip for us later? Sure, sure, no problem, no problem at all. Thank you very much for joining us on Horsemanship Radio. It was an honor to have you here. This week we have Dr. Robert Miller back with a master training tip. I turned out the last video I did was called Lameness. Uh, it's causes and prevention. And I list 11 causes of lameness, which includes things like malnutrition, bad shoeing, uh, bad conformation, uh, wrong uh, work surfaces, and so on, accidents, and so on. But in my experience with so many different disciplines and so many different breeds of horses, the leading cause of lameness that I have seen is mm-hmm. too much work at too young an age. Mm. And it's not getting better. It's getting worse. Uh, when I was young, well, we talked about colts. We were talking about four- and five-year-olds mostly, starting colts. Mm-hmm. Now these horses are competing at three. They're in fituries at three. They're working them at two, at 22 months, even as long as 18 months. Uh, it's a very, very cruel and destructive thing. It's a majority of these horses break down prematurely. So my tip is, if you love a horse, take your time. I have a very extensive library, uh, a book library, and I went through the entire life. Most of these books written in the 19th century, a few in the early 20th century, and some of them way back, like in the 16th and 17th century. And I took out of the, these books the statements of when you should start a colt. The youngest was three. Yeah. And the oldest was seven. And the average was four to five years of age. 
Uh, in other words, let them grow up before you start working them to death. There's so much work can be done on the ground early, teaching a horse all kinds of things, starting at birth, mm-hmm. and not working them too hard uh, prematurely. It's a great tip. tip. Do, I love that tip. Do you ever um, ask people to x-ray for epiphysials, the epiphysial closures? Well, that helps, but that's not the whole story, unfortunately. You Mm -hmm. can have the epiphyses closed, uh, and it indicates a certain level of growth maturity, but they're not finished. In other words, Mm -hmm. let me give you an analogy. We see 16-year-olds that have reached their full height. Most of us don't, but some do. That means their epiphyses are closed in their bones, but they're not mature. Mm-hmm. And if if you put them uh, to work uh, athletically too severely, too young, they're going to pay for it later on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We would and love I, to. See, or physicians oh, who who work in sports medicine, and they see the same thing in these kids who are uh, overworked uh, at a very young age. Uh, they're usually excellent uh, athletes but they pay for it for the rest of their lives. Now, the difference between the horse and the human is a human can be arthritic and have a bad knee, bad hip, bad ankles, and you still have a useful life. Uh, That's not true of horses. Uh, Unless they have breeding prospect, once they go unsound, their career is over. That's right. That's right. Often a life is over. We would love to see uh, purses in horse racing and and other incentives to go to older horses. And people who love horses uh, can yes, get ma'am. behind can get behind that so that there is an incentive if if needed. Yep. I think I think that's Absolutely. what they're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. I think that's a wonderful tip, and I hope everybody will um, noodle that out and figure out a way to make that happen. Yeah, and let me add this, that starting these young horses and working them so hard, cutting, reining, uh, jumping, whatever, uh, it's profitable for the veterinarian, and it's profitable for the pharmaceutical companies. I mean, untold millions of dollars in profit, but it's very, very disastrous for the horses and for the people who own them. Yes, thank you. And that's that's uh, decades of a veterinarian speaking from authority there. Thank you, Bob. Yes, you're welcome. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting new friends, two-legged and four-legged. Nearby, in, on January 25, he will be doing the Night of Inspiration with uh, Monty and Pat at their home at Flagstaff Farms in Solvang, California. It's open to the public, but it does have limited spaces. In fact, that one, I think, may be sold out at this point. But in case, write to admin at montyroberts.com, or you can call 805-688-6288 during business hours on Pacific time. He also is going to do next day the January 26th Life Lessons. It's a personal development workshop at Flagstaff Farms in California. So it's a great time to get out of cold weather and go to California in January. You can write to me at 
Debbie at MontyRoberts.com for more information. March 15, 21, and 29, he'll be in England. He'll be in England again, but he's going to be doing some fun demonstrations there, even with a Martin Clunes. Uh, Some people know Martin Clunes from his show on TV. He's a wonderful horseman, both on TV and in person. And then also in April 4, 6, 8, and 11, and 13, he'll be in Germany And if you go to MontyRoberts.com, you'll see his calendar to get more information about those dates. Well, once again, Monty is traveling a bit. You know, we talk about Monty traveling, but you do a good bit of traveling with Monty, too, every year. Uh, He says I cherry pick. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? I think he's right. And you know what? If you're going to have the, if you can cherry pick, why not? (laughs) That's right. That's right. Take it when you can get it. That's That's right. right. I did notice that you pick all the pretty places or the places where you're going to meet with royalty. Yeah. Yeah. That's (laughs) (laughs) That's my short list. (laughs) Yep. For, uh, you know what? You can uh, find all of our shows on the Horse Radio Network, all 11 of them, by uh, downloading our app. You can go to the iOS or Android App Store and search for Horse Radio Network, and it's free. It's easy to use. It's probably the simplest way to listen to our shows. Thousands of people are now doing that. Or you can go to horseradionetwork.com and find all of our different shows. And as always, we love your feedback. Please tell us about what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Monty Roberts and Twitter at twitter.com Monty underscore Roberts. And I I really want to thank all of our sponsors. They're great people and they're great products. Be sure to visit all the other great shows too on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. And until next time, have many happy horse hours.